0: What's up, everybody? It is January 10th, and it's time for episode number 10 of the Go Figure Show and Podcast. Uh, it seems like we're a little tired today, but we're going to bring the energy. Regardless, even though Ty's had no sleep, baby's not sleeping through the night, and neither is the 17-month-old, but he's here because he's relentless. So our first, uh, our big topic here, and you guys saw this uh, as we uh, put out this episode in the preview, was listen, listen. There's a, you know, a lot of people think a recession is coming, especially economists. So what are the so-called experts saying about a recession in 2023? And most importantly, what are we going to do about it, right? There's always going to be adversity, difficulty coming down the pipe, but what are we going to do, do about it is really kind of what matters the most. So that's our money topic. What's the mindset?
1: Yeah, for the mindset, we're going to talk about traits that help you win at anything. And that's coming directly from Michael Jordan's Uh, trainer. Ah,
0: I love that guy Tim Grover also Kobe Bryant's trainer Dwayne Wade really an amazing uh, amazing guy and then our sports segment now just to give you guys a little bit of a heads up little preview Thursday we're going to tackle Ty's going to make the picks talk about the bets coming up for wild card weekend which is going to be an epic epic wild card weekend in the NFL but before we get to that today we're going to focus in on the Georgia TCU College Football National Championship that happened last night. And unfortunately, it was not much of a game. But we're going to talk about Stetson Bennett, the undersized Georgia quarterback, his journey, and what we can learn about his mindset and how he was able to succeed at the highest level in college football and how you can use his same you know mindset, skills, the things he did to win there, to win in your business, to win in your life, to teach to your children going into 2023. So that's our sports segment.
1: Yeah. And then diving into the family piece here, we're going to talk about the four financial resolutions you should make to straighten out your family finances this year, 2023.
0: Love it. And then uh mastery topic is going to be no substitute for work ethic and accountability because Disney CEO, Bob Iger, who has returned to the helm at Disney, we've been talking about this in recent weeks, and he's already making some new changes that the old CEO did not make. One of those being that he is requiring workers to come to the office four days a week starting in March. Oh my goodness, what are these Disney employees going to do? We're going to talk about that and what that means and what sort of you know, um, you know leadership uh, qualities and accountability and, and values and principles you should be implementing in your business if you want to follow someone like Bob Iger, who's a pretty good guy to follow.
1: Amen. And then for the the freedom piece here, we're going to talk about a little RTW budget and how much does it cost to actually travel the world for a year? I mean, we're all about
0: financial freedom and time freedom and family freedom here at the Go Figure podcast. And so the question becomes, so what does it actually cost and look like to travel around the world You know, once you get to that point? So that's going to be a fun topic. That is what's on the docket for today we got the timer counting down we got uh, our good friend jillian managing everything while john is playing in mexico viva mexico john way to go but jillian is holding down the fort so great work jillian welcome to the go figure podcast created for parents and business owners who want to get their money right my name's leo cannell as a husband and father of five i've been fortunate to create two eight figure businesses in the fintech space this podcast will share the values, principles, strategies, tools, and tactics that have helped us to build a fintech empire and provide an epic life for our family. Having been a parent and entrepreneur for 20 years, there's a lot I don't know. There's been a lot of failure. The good news is together, we'll find solutions to creating an epic life powered by a business that we love. Well, guys, let's get into our money topic And it's what the so-called experts are saying about a recession in 2023. This is an article from our good friends at Bloomberg, owned by billionaire Michael Bloomberg, who ran for the presidential uh, candidacy for the Democrats in 2020. Didn't win, but he's certainly been a very successful businessman entrepreneur through the years. Also, he was mayor of New York City for quite a while. His company, Bloomberg... Has an article and they surveyed all these economists, you know, the so called experts. And here's what they said, Ty. They said that uh, seven in 10 likelihood, basically 70% chance, according to these economists, that the U.S. economy will sink into a recession, you know, this year in 2023. uh, They are slashing demand forecasts and trimming inflation projections in the Wake of massive interest rates, hikes by the Federal Reserve. So basically, Jerome Powell, who may be the most powerful man on the planet right now, has been raising interest rates from the U.S. Fed. And what does that all mean for all of us as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as uh, you know, uh, fathers and mothers and parents? Is Basically, everything's, uh, you know, you have inflation that's gone up so high, so they're trying to rein that in. They're killing demand in housing, the housing market. Uh, demand for mortgages has just dropped you know massively in the last year and we've seen and, and talked about this demand for cars because cars are often financed going down because those payments keep going up anything related to home improvement home improvement loans have gone up home equity lines of credit have gone up we have people who are in the solar industry and security industry and those solar loans had been so cheap and so affordable it really made sense to look at solar and now we're seeing that that's much more difficult. And so this the, the odds of recession you know, it keeps going up every single month, according to these guys. And a key, key reason the Fed is likely to keep higher rates in place, which is also going to lead to a recession, according to these economists, is an extended period in the resilience of the job market. So, you know, typically the, the definition has been two negative quarters in a row of GDP means we're in a recession as a country. Things are bad. But usually you have like the job losses, but the job losses didn't follow. You know, why do you think that was, Ty? Why, why did why did companies not have the job losses following? You know, with some negative growth.
1: You know that that's a good question because when you when I see articles like this and I think, okay, well, what actually deems a recession? Are, aren't yeah. we technically in a recession? But it doesn't yes, necessarily feel like a recession. It just feels yeah. like crazy inflation and. The yeah. recession part of it hasn't really hit us all that hard yet, but as far as you know, I I don't know that that's something I haven't put a lot of thought into as far as why the job you know job market is still saying super super strong yet we're hitting this recession. I I don't know what what's what's yeah, your take on that?
0: I've been I've been uh, listening to different uh, experts out there. Joe Rogan just had this guy Peter uh, Zihan on his podcast, and this guy's like uh, been an economist for a long time. Super fascinating guy. One of the big things he talks about is kind of this issue with lack of population growth. So for all the decades, you know, the uh, climate, uh, uh, environmental folks were saying, hey, the Earth is overpopulated, our planet's running out of resources, we're all screwed, the end of the world, blah, 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 blah. And yet now we're seeing that all the projections over the next several decades, and especially in countries like China, our population is much older. (laughs) You have a much bigger population of people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s versus people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so that means that with less population, we have – or or more – less of a younger population we have less workers to fill these open job openings and so you've got all these open jobs and worker demand is high but we just don't have the population in some of these younger groups and so you're seeing some of these older groups that are getting older and retiring and this is china's in trouble according to a lot of economists because their population is going to go from 1.4 billion down to like 700 million in the next 80 years because they've had that one-child policy Even India is going to see an increase and then a decrease, and most countries in Europe are already seeing this happen. Russia's screwed, by the way. Russia has like a hundred thirty or forty million, and they're going to be going down to seventy million in the next few decades. Which means, you know, all these older people try to retire. This is what's happening in our country. So maybe that's what's happening. You're not seeing the job losses because they can't fill the positions, and then you had the pandemic. And people are like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm living off of free government money. I uh, have my unemployment check, and I'm getting these checks from the government. So I'm not coming back. So there's this big amount of population that haven't gone back to work. And that that might be it. I mean, I I don't know all the details, but that seems to be, you know, what we're hearing out there. But I think the bigger question that we all care about is let's, let's say these guys are right. Let's say job lo- and we're starting to see job losses even though it hasn't like netted job losses on the official reports you're seeing companies like Google, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Amazon, all the big tech companies have been slaughtered with their stock prices, they're all laying people off and then you start to think well if they're laying people off, real estate is being, you know, hammered, all of the companies construction that, and there's a lot of companies affected by real estate. So if they're all going down, eventually maybe the job losses start to come, and that's what most economists think. So, okay, let's say all that happens. Job losses are coming, recession, a more official recession where we actually fill it and we see you know, more of our friends and family lose their jobs. Okay, so let's assume all that takes place in 2023. Now what? what are we going to do about it? What can we do about it? And so for everyone in this podcast, you're probably a small business owner, an entrepreneur, or you're looking to, you have a side hustle. Maybe you're you know, one of our funding CEOs or funding partners, and you're trying to build your own finance uh, company from home, or you're, you're involved in e-commerce, and maybe we did some financing for you, and, and you're watching this to get ahead of 2023 and how you're going to win. And so for me, Every time uncertainty happens, and I I love kind of going back to the pandemic in 2020, right? The pandemic hits in March, April, May, and our business takes a hit because most of our business is coming from live events. So, you know, we sat back, we looked at this, okay, live events are going away. Well, we better find some new partners, new strategic partners who are doing virtual online events and that's what we did And we started connect with some great groups and we started doing these online workshops and then starting in june three months later after we had a terrible terrible second quarter by the time july and the third quarter came around in 2020 we had record growth every single month i'm not saying this is the same in your business or whatever you're doing but for us it always comes back to focusing on sales you know, there's all these things you can do, all these projects, but at the end of the day, if I can focus on sales, increase sales, get more strategic partners, more clients coming in the door and take all the actions to make that happen, then it doesn't matter what's going to happen. It, same thing in in like uh, if you got an Airbnb business, which we do, right? You've got, uh, you know, maybe you're going to see some demand drop there. Well, guess what? We're going to go find strategic partners who are travel agents, and we're going to sign them up to send us business, pay them a commission, and so what can you do in your business right now in 2023 to bring in more business and to just focus on generating more sales during the uncertainty? And that's where I think a lot of people get lost. What do you think are some of the best things that people could do, small business owners to, hey, there's a recession, there's not, job losses, there's not, there's uncertainty, there's inflation, all the things we can't control. What are the things we can't control?
1: Yeah, that that's exactly what i was about to say leo i think that's one thing that you did really well for us at that time you didn't let us for a single day think oh shit we're doomed because live events are gone instead we sat down and said okay well it is what it is we have no control over that we have no control over covid or the borders or travel but what do we have control over over what resources do we have okay how are we going to pivot and shift and utilize those resources We need to get on Zoom a little bit more. We need to get on the phones a little bit more. We need to create more digital presentations. And so it's a matter of focusing on what you do have, what resources are available, and becoming the very, very best in the industry at utilizing those tools and those resources. It's being willing and being able to pivot because nowadays all sorts of shit is coming at us, whether it's the economy, whether it's COVID, whether it's the next big disease that's hitting you have to be willing to pivot and you have to be quick to pivot in this market in this day and age
0: you know what else i'm just remembering that we did and it was it's kind of funny thinking about this we we had launched that uh, identity insured soft pull credit thing and that was not really working out very well in the first three four months of the year and and by april i i'm like okay We have to spend the money to get a partner portal, even though we didn't have a lot of money. But, hey, we're a funding company, so we used our funding, right? And then we launched, like, a, a Facebook campaign to bring in new funding partners and business coaches and serve them. And we did that in, like, April and May, too, at that exact same time. So at the same time, the shit's hitting the fan. People are all at home and worried about the pandemic, and businesses are going out of business We made that investment into that uh, partner program and into that software, even though it wasn't super comfortable, but we knew that that was the right thing to do. And so it's almost like be greedy when everyone else is fearful and fearful when everyone else is greedy, the Warren Buffett uh, quote. And so those are the things that you have to do, but you can only make investments in your business, something that's going to generate income and make a big difference. It's not the time to go do a miscellaneous project and hope it works out. It's got to be something that's going to bring and, and, and the, at the end of the day for me it's it is strategic partners. like every business, your dream clients are somewhere. go find the strategic partners who already have them, make a deal, deliver value to them, help them with their business and have them send those clients over and if you can you can do that I think in almost any business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's that's it, what it comes down to. It's always you know the pie's getting bigger, not the pie is shrinking, and and that attitude that we always talk about. I, I think that's all it comes down to, just being relentless as a business owner.
0: And You know what's cool? Like it doesn't cost anything but effort to go and build relationships with people. It just costs some effort, and it co- and it, and You've got to be someone who goes into it, not what's in it for me, but how can I serve you? How can I provide value to you and your community? You need to tell them that. If you do that, then then you can all win together. There's plenty out there for everybody. So so that's that's, I believe, you know, those are some of the specific things you can do as a business owner. You can do in a finance company, any company where you're dealing with customers' clients, someone's got your clients out there who are those strategic partners, identify them. And then if there's an investment that you can make into something that's going to make a real tangible difference for your business and give you a big competitive advantage, and at the end of the day, a lot of that does come down to software. If you have something unique that is a software that provides value to your clients, to your strategic partners – that's that's worth investing in. that's going to set you apart. So that, my friends, is the money segment. Uh, let's jump into the mindset segment. And this one, uh, a very interesting article here. And uh, a guy that I, I've i read his books, I remember the first time I read his books, and, and this is Tim Grover. I, uh, I literally came home on a Friday night and I just felt like, I almost felt like I needed to go punch the punching bag. I needed to go in, get a hard workout in because he just got me that pumped up. And reading it, so here's this article. This is actually a CNBC article here, and uh, it is about uh, Michael Jordan's trainer. And the article is traits that help you win at anything, according to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant's trainer. Not surprising when Kobe figured out, wait, this guy, this guy helped Michael win all those championships. And I mean, Michael used to be a skinnier guy in the '80s, and he got he got beat up by the Detroit Pistons. And uh, he lost in the uh, the not, not the NBA Finals, but just like the uh, the conference championships twice. And the and the Detroit uh, Pistons beat him up, and he did not have the strength and the stamina to deal with that. And so he's frustrated. He's tired of losing. And this this uh, little this little guy who had uh, been a walk on college basketball player, but made a team. And he tore his ACL, and then as he's trying to rehab, he's he's discovering all these different things you can do to make your body stronger and more resilient as a basketball player, which he was. And uh, his parents were immigrants from India, didn't speak English all that well, I don't think, and a very kind of a, not the easiest uh, upbringing, but, uh, but a guy who just made things happen. And so this guy's name is Tim Grover, and he reaches out. To so all of the uh, basketball players on the Chicago Bulls at that time, and guess who gets back to him? Not one of them except their best player, Michael Jordan. He gets back to him, and he's like, I'm interested. Come tell me what you got, bro. So he brings Tim Grover into his house, and Tim uh, makes the pitch to him. Michael's like, all right, you got 30 days to prove that this works. And uh, 15 years later... Well, it worked because Michael had not won any championships. That very next year, he won his first one after working with Tim Grover. So in this article, Tim and Tim's uh, got a few books out there. And uh, we sponsored an event uh, back in January, right before the pandemic of 2020. Got to meet Tim Grover in person and tell him how much we appreciated uh, his books, uh, which was really cool. But uh, let's, let's talk about some of the things he says. He says, Michael Jordan is the only one who responded. He told me, all right, I have 30 days. And and basically what Tim says is there's no... You know, in, in today's world, everyone wants five steps to success. Yeah. And Tim Grover's like, no. The steps are, are many, they're infinite, and they're changing, and they depend upon you and what you're trying to do. Um, and so he uh, writes this book called Relentless. He has another one called Winning. And uh, he's got all these interesting philosophies about what it takes to be the best. And probably the most important is he, he talks about people who want to win at the highest level are different. And, and I think even, even in athletics, and obviously that's what Tim, Tim's dealing and you were, you know, you were a top uh, high school athlete. What was it that kind of set apart some of the top athletes besides talent that you've seen And how does that maybe translate into business?
1: Yeah, I I would say, Leo, like myself, especially more so than myself, is a lot of friends that I have that went on to play college and and whatnot. It simply comes down to that competitive mindset. Like it goes way beyond the football field. It's playing ping pong in the office. It's playing Halo late at night. It's that mindset of I do not lose I hate to lose. It's the most uncomfortable feeling. I never want to lose anything. And that's what I see with all these these top performers, these NBA athletes, these NFL athletes. They hate to lose no matter what it is. So there's
0: like this value principle, and we'll call it the, you know, hating to lose or just being super competitive in everything. They want to compete. What is it about people, you know, in 2023, do people even want to compete anymore? What is society... And their message telling us about competition, do you think, these days?
1: It it seems like people are so scared of upsetting someone or having any sort of conflict or offending someone, and it's eliminating competition. Like, you're so nervous that if I whoop my buddy's butt at ping pong in the office, he's going to get offended, it's going to cause issues, so I'm just not going to play ping pong, or we'll just play for fun. right? It's that fear of how they're going to feel or react and it's it's killing competition but competition can be very 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 healthy if it's done in the right manner
0: no question about it and in school in my kids uh, sport leagues some of them and there's this basketball league that i absolutely hate and i got my son out of it into the the competitive one but there there are all these leagues now where they don't keep score in like basketball or soccer or flag football and Oh, in fact, I remember. I remember coaching my kids in, in flag football when they were in like first and second grade, and oh, we don't keep score in this league, you know. And and I'm like, why? Oh, well, and it's it is. It's about oh, we don't want the kids to feel bad that they lose. And I'm like, why not? That's how you get better. If you don't realize you're doing terrible and not getting the job done, you're not going to get better. And so then we raise kids in today's world with this, uh, don't worry about competition and competing. And then they get out into the real workforce. And that's the people who make money are the ones who are competitive, the ones that want to dominate, the ones who want to get better, and they don't like losing. And so when there's contests, and they get their butt kicked, or they don't do the job in their job, and you know, they're going to get fired, I mean, then they don't even know how to deal with adversity. How how does sports in general help kids deal with adversity when they get older, do you think?
1: I mean, it, it it's on both sides of it, Leo, from, from what I've seen. And, and I think of sporting events still at this point in my life that I was 8 years old, 9 years old, 10 years old, and I lost. And you know what? Those losses hurt and stuck with me, so I put in a little extra time. And, you know, I'm going to spend a little bit more time in the batting cage. I'm going to throw a few more footballs. It's competition it's losing that makes you want to put in the extra work and get better. It's how you actually measure yourself. If there's no competition, there's no measurement, there's no – you don't even know that you're doing poorly. Yeah. You have no idea that you need to improve because there's no form of measurement. It's
0: No, no question about it. I, I remember when I was in seventh grade, and I shot up and I grew fast. I was a skinny, weak kid, and I decided two things after finishing seventh grade. All right. Now in Little Beaver, Utah, unfortunately, we didn't even have football leagues for kids until you got to ninth grade. So I didn't even get to play organized football till ninth grade, which my kids can't even imagine. They're like, "What kind of place is that, Dad?" Well, it's three thousand people, guys. A little place, but so in Beaver, the only the big thing was basketball, and so it was basketball, basketball, and we would uh, in seventh eighth grade we play in this old gym in this uh, in this. 100-year-old high school that's now been torn down on the Main Street in Beaver. And uh, in seventh grade, I did not do well in that league, didn't make the all-star team, didn't have a great year. And so that entire summer, I remember, Mom, I want dumbbells for my birthday. I'm going to do push-ups and lift weights every single day. And my dad put up a basketball hoop on our garage. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to shoot the ball every single day. And lo and behold, by the time you know basketball came around in eighth grade, made the all-star team, and learned that, hey, when you suck at something, you want to get better, you go in and you work at it every single day, and you can get better, and you can make an all-star team. And those things are the things that translate later into life when you get your butt kicked in a business or a job, and you're like, I've got to get better at this thing. And if you don't learn those skills when you're a kid, boy, you may never learn them when you become an adult.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I, I think about here, Leo, when I hear the Tim Grover story and how Michael Jordan kind of was the first to really get into weight training and kind of similar situation with Tiger Woods and Rory oh, McIlroy really when they're bringing point, yeah. into golf how, how important fitness is. Um, you don't realize how much over a four-day span you're actually walking and, yeah. and sweating and how exhausting it is and mentally fatiguing, but if you have a body that can handle it, you're going to be mentally more sound than that john daly who's sitting here smoking all around smoking and and drinking a beer e- exactly exactly and so what i take from that is in business you're dealing with thousands and thousands of other high level performers that are just as good as you at your job but it's finding that small 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 little competitive advantage that lifts you up ever so slightly beyond them. When you have two extremely high level performers, all it takes is a teeny little competitive advantage to push you over the edge and and have you rise to the top. And so I think, you know, as business owners, what is our weightlifting? What is our weight training? What is that little competitive advantage that we're going to be creative enough to find that other funding companies out there didn't? And I think we've had and found a handful of those. And I think every business can. But it, it, like we said, find that competitive advantage. That's what Michael Jordan did. That's what Tiger Woods did. And they are two people that are literally the face of franchises and will be for decades. And all it was was that little competitive advantage.
0: And so this brings up a question. So do you think Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods like lived a balanced life when they were in the middle of dominating or to get to that position? No. No. And I think that's one of the biggest fallacies that the media and everybody wants you to think is this thing of balance. Every time you succeed at a high level in your life, and there are different seasons of your life, you are not in balance. You're going all in. It's not 9 to 5 Monday through Friday, right? I remember seeing this story at the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. Kobe Bryant, uh, I think that was the only Olympics. Did he do an Olympics before that?
1: I thought he did too. Oh, maybe I don't know. Yeah. He,
0: he might. I don't know. He had such a long career, but but he came back after the U.S. men's team took third place in 2004. Very disappointing result in the Olympics in basketball. And he bring they put a team together in 2008. And in Beijing, like Kobe's into the gym at like four or five in the morning before their practice. And he has this amazing work ethic and obsession working at all these different parts of his game and getting better. And LeBron and Dwayne Wade and all these guys are watching him. They're like, oh, I, if Kobe's doing that, I better start doing that. And then right after that, you know, they, they had that amazing run, and they, they could have lost to Spain. Spain had Gasol, and they had a really good year. They were in the championship finals against the U.S. team. And Kobe stepped up, hit the big threes, gave these guys the confidence. They got the gold medal. Kobe went on to win uh, two more titles after that uh, to get his fourth and fifth rings. And just there's a difference between even those who are good and those who want to be great. And it's that extra level of obsession It's reading the books every day. It's going through the podcasts every day. It's constantly reaching to get better and improve. And it's not to say you can't have a great family life because you can. But at certain points, you're going to go on a run. And to get where you want to go, you're going to have to go all in and let everybody know. And that's what most people don't understand about winning. It takes that type of massive obsession and going all in to be the best at something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that book I was just listening to, Who Will Cry When You Die, it actually talks about Michael Jordan and prioritizing your time and your energy and your efforts on what is going to make you the best. Michael didn't do his laundry. He didn't cook his meals. He didn't Mm -hmm. write his own contracts. He didn't negotiate his contracts. He played basketball, and he got in shape. Right, And as business owners, sometimes we need to be able to prioritize and figure out what is going to get me where I want to be. What do I need to focus on? And if it means hiring a nanny, if it means hiring a chef, maybe it's it's a little bit out of your comfort zone right now, but it's what's going to allow you to focus your time and energy on what's going to make you the money, you need to make make that sacrifice now and do it. That's
0: such a big deal right there because you can't be spending your time that could be spent getting better at your craft. And so for me, I remember like a decade ago deciding, hey, I can't go mow the lawn. My kids have got to do it. We got to pay someone to do it. I can't be doing all these other tasks because that's time I should literally be spent working on my business, my craft, becoming better, helping more clients, building more relationships and building something that's going to change our lives And that sacrifice has paid off. And that's what most people don't understand. And everybody who's part of the 459 Club or at 459, I'm out. I'm out as a business owner or in in an organization where you want to become an entrepreneur and build something. And I'm not reading books. I'm not, you know, not willing to do any work over the weekend or on holidays. I don't see how success is going to come your way. I really don't. And so I think that, especially as you go into an uncertain year of 2023, Remember, most of the population aren't going to do these things, but if you want to win at the highest level, you've got to. And speaking of winning at the highest level, let's get into our sports segment here. And what about uh, what happened last night? <laughs> what
1: happened? Honestly, I'm I'm not surprised. Like, Georgia is just that good and that athletic and that much bigger and that much stronger and that much faster. I, I didn't think it would be that big of a blowout, but... I put a lot of money on it six weeks ago. Um, I Called it. You called uh, yeah, your six weeks ago. I was saying they'd win by at least 20 no matter who they played. I, Ohio State surprised me, but I, I think Georgia was caught a little off guard and wasn't going to let anyone even get close anymore. But Stetson Bennett, he, he's like a modern day Rudy, but he's actually good. It's crazy. He is. <laughs>
0: and, and you and I had the chance to speak with the real Rudy at, a, at uh, an event we did financing for with Home Inspectors a few years ago. Really cool guy, but just incredible uh, communicator, work ethic, willing to push through, never give up. And so this this kid, Stetson, he's an undersized quarterback. They, they list him at 5'11", 190, which means he's probably 5'10", 180. And he's now a back-to-back championship-winning quarterback for the University of Georgia. He was a walk-on, is a low, low-level recruit, and then he left after he walked on for a year, went and played junior college year, and then he came back and eventually won the starting job. By the way, he was competing against a guy named Justin Fields, who we see on Sundays, right, for the Bears, and then Justin Fields transferred to Ohio State. The thing that was interesting about this particular game is in the semifinals, you had Michigan who lost to TCU, and Michigan had beat Ohio State pretty handily. And Ohio State darn near beat Georgia. So I was looking at it thinking, well, maybe there's a chance for TCU. But no, TCU just played the the perfect game, a game of a lifetime against Michigan. And then, oh, my goodness, there's something about uh, experience and having been there or, or something. But So what makes a guy like Stetson so successful in, in your mind?
1: You know, it, it's what we just talked about. It, it's his it's relentless. He's got that relentless attitude and he's got, he's not a big guy. He's a, he's a very unorthodox looking quarterback, but he walks with just such this confidence and swagger. And, you know, no, it doesn't matter who says something to him. He is so mentally tough and he truly believes that he's the next Tom Brady. Like there's no doubt in his mind that he's the best out there, which can be taken too far, but I think he's very, very honed in. He's, He's got humility, but in his mind, he also knows and believes he's the best.
0: There's something about a guy or gal who walks around with a chip on their shoulder, and it's those people that you better be better be concerned about because they're coming after you. They're going to give it everything they got. They're going to be obsessed all in, and I guarantee you on a Friday night when everybody else was out partying, this kid – was working on his quickness. Was throwing the ball with somebody. I remember, you know, the, the one year I went all in to try and become a quarterback. I was literally just finding kids every day. Who can I throw the ball with? I got to throw the ball with every day. Well, what workout should I be doing today? And, and having that thought, and it's the same thing in your business, right? You're thinking, what skill do I need to be working on today? What aspect of my business do I need to be working on? Who on my team do I need? Who on my team wants to dominate with me? And and go on this journey and identifying those people and you're right it's that type of relentless obsessive nature that leads to success but I think the majority of them have a chip on their shoulder and if they never if they never get the chip on their shoulder it may not happen right Michael Jordan doesn't make the basketball team as a sophomore by the way his older brother did and his dad literally is talking shit to him he comes back the next year we all kind of and he he plays the rest of his career in basketball with his chip on his shoulder. Tom Brady, right, barely drafted, barely gets into the NFL, massive chip on his shoulder. And now he's still playing quarterback at a high level, hosting a playoff game this uh, next Monday against the Cowboys. We saw we saw them play earlier at Dallas Cowboys Stadium, so it's going to be fun. But massive chip on his shoulder. Brock just, Purdy,
1: same thing. Look,
0: Brock Purdy
1: goes into college as as a third stringer and slowly works his way up. They say, oh, he's never going to make it in the NFL. He becomes Mr. Irrelevant, very last person in the draft, and now he's just going off for the 49ers. But, again, I you look at Brock Purdy, you look at uh, Stetson Bennett, they found their competitive advantages, right? They yes. looked at this and said, you know what, I'm not as tall, so I can't read the defense as well, so I'm going to spend extra time in the film room and I'm going to know that defense inside and out, yes. so I'm going to be smarter. I'm not as strong, so I'm going to be faster, right? Whatever that is, they're finding their competitive advantage to make up for their shortcomings for the typical quarterback.
0: So if you're like in a Dave and Goliath uh, you know situation and you're a smaller business trying to go up against the Goliath, what are the things that you can do better than the Goliath b- businesses can? And there's always something. There's something lost in the way they deliver value to the client, the way they communicate, things that they don't do because they have these bureaucratic policies. They might be slow to react. So there are things within your business that you can do, And, and that's why I love sports because there's so many lessons to be learned in sports and so many mindsets, and probably above and beyond all that is just the ability to come back from failure and adversity that you learn in sports that I just don't know if there's anywhere else that you can learn that.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think it's the best way to learn and prepare. And, you know, I, I also, watching Georgia, I think Kirby Smart is just. What kind of. These coaches. Yeah. These coaches. Some of these college football coaches are just some of the
0: most inspirational people. Um, the Who's the Clemson coach? He's amazing. Oh, Davo Sweeney. Davo Sweeney. Um, he was on a podcast with Ed Milet uh, like a couple years ago. Amazing podcast. Uh, you know, obviously, Nick Saban, the coach of Alabama, and it's no surprise that these guys' teams dominate year in and year out. Because yes, they're great at recruiting, but there's a certain mindset, a certain work ethic, and these guys are. I mean, Nick Saban is all in, obsessed. I mean, he's he's basically the Bill Belichick of college football, and that's there's a reason why those two are really good friends and coach together because. They're kind of the same uh, mindset.
1: Yeah, you saw at halftime, George is heading into the locker room. Granted, they could have played their third stringers the whole second half. There there was no chance TCU was coming back no. in that game. It was over at halftime. They ask him, you know, what what's the plan for the second half or what are you going to do? Uh, and all he says is it's a 60-minute game. Like, literally, we will not take our foot off the throttle until this game is over because that's what we came here to do. That's what we prepared to do. And they put up 60-something points in the national championship. Wow. It's awesome. Wow. Unbelievable.
0: Unbelievable. All right, guys. Well, that's our sports segment. Let's move to the family segment here. The four financial resolutions you should make to straighten out your family finances going into 2023. Uh, Let's check out uh, this article here. All right. This one is... I don't even... Oh, it's from the Toronto Star. We're really going... And searching and researching great stuff for you guys. So, this is the four financial resolutions you should make to straighten out your family finances in 2023. And this is really interesting, and this is really why we built that My Figures Money app so that you know business owners, entrepreneurs, people who just want to get their money right can. And it's been interesting because I've been using the app more and more. And a lot of this comes down to having that tool and then the actual tactics. So here's here's what the article says. It says, most people um, put their head in the sand and choose not to look at their finances and credit. And this is really common, I think, among couples, right? Where one of them kind of knows what's going on and maybe kind of pays the bills, and the other one literally has no idea. Maybe they make the money, maybe they don't, but they literally have no idea what's going on with the finances. And like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But most people, according to this article, live their financial life just not knowing and hoping like they don't want to know how much debt they have how much bad debt they have how much do they have good debt what are their investments doing what's their investment plan they don't know you know should i be working towards earning more income should i start a business should i have a side hustle like most people are like ostriches they literally put their head in the sand they don't want to see the bad news out there and but yeah the people who do They know exactly what's going on on a daily basis, and they have daily micro goals they're working towards, and then they have weekly checks, and they have a weekly meeting. How am I doing with my money? How am I doing with my credit score? Uh, One of my, uh, you know, mentors, guys, I follow and and look up to a lot, uh, Patrick, David, he talks about this all the time, where at one point, he had a 450 credit score. He was $50,000 in arrears on unsecured car debt that he'd used and failed in some businesses, he had been going to Vegas and gambling and going to nightclubs and whatever. And he was absolutely losing. He goes and asks his dad for a loan um, to pay off this bad debt and get out of the situation. His dad's like, oh, you can get out of this yourself. I want you to learn how to. So he starts doing this weekly meeting with himself, looking at his credit score, looking at his bad debt and dealing with it and then i think it's like a year and a half later he's saved a hundred thousand dollars he's paid off all the bad debt and and that's how you win like before we started uh, this company i left uh, we left our previous company and we had i had over a hundred thousand dollars in bad debt that i had to take from the previous company and i put it all i mapped it all out there and i'm like every week i'm gonna look at this debt and we're gonna pay it down and a year later or a year and a half later, we paid it all off and, and got into a much better situation. So I think the key, and I wasn't doing that before. I wasn't doing a weekly meeting. And then you need to do a monthly, and then you need to have an annual. And so it's almost like daily, weekly, monthly, annual. That's what it takes to win at the money game. And most people are not going to do that in 2023. But the people that do win big, I guarantee you are going to do it you've been around a lot of successful people, been very successful yourself as a young real estate investor, business owner. What do you think the keys are for people to get their money right in 2023 for their families?
1: It it just comes down to building the right habits and taking accountability. Like it's kind of interesting. I was watching Friends the other day and it was one of the early, early seasons where I think later on in Friends, like Chandler gets one of the very first laptops, but in friends one of the earlier seasons and they get this statement in the mail and they look at that statement and realize oh man my bank account's running low and it hit me i realized like oh my gosh like my parents didn't get to just log on to a computer and see their bank account balances like they didn't they didn't get to manage their finances it was like i hope i wrote this down in my general ledger and can keep track of things here and i think about like how much anxiety that would give me. Yet today, in this day and age, we've got all of these resources and people are like, oh, it's too much anxiety to go check my finances. I'm just not going to look. Like, what? Give me a break, right? We've got all these resources right here. You want to get rid of that anxiety? Set a time every single day where you look at your transactions, where you look at your goals, where you track how you're doing. Leo, since we launched My Figures and I connected all of my... I have like 10 different credit cards that I've connected in there. I check that every single day now and I can't tell you, I I would guess once a week, like I see a transaction that makes absolutely no sense that isn't mine or was a subscription I had forgotten about and I've saved all sorts of money just eliminating those types of things. Um, I was able to set financial goals in here and instead of just writing it down on a piece of paper, like I have an actual roadmap, I get notifications and... Mm -hmm. We've got all these resources here. You just need to be mentally strong enough and accountable enough, and create habits so that you actually use them. That's that's all it is.
0: No question. And and uh, and get your spouse, get your partner, get your family involved with these things. Uh, Jill and I have been, we've been reviewing what we spent money on last January, and so we've made a goal to save a lot more money that we can invest in into properties and other businesses in 2023. And so we're we're watching it pretty carefully every day, every week. Oh God, we gotta, we gotta go to, I gotta go to this uh, dumb uh, this soccer tournament. It's not dumb. It's a soccer tournament in Portland this weekend. Oh, I've got to spend money for that and go there, allocate that in the budget, but I'm gonna save more money. I'm gonna spend less in January than last year. That's my goal. And so start mapping out those goals and take your head out of the sand and then get the whole family involved and teach your kids to start budgeting, right? Where they're making money and and they're learning to run little businesses and they're learning to save money, but it, at the end of the day, a lot of it does come down to delayed gratification. Can you delay your gratification? They, I always talk about this little story of the the marshmallows, and they give the kids, "Hey, you if you uh, can wait an hour, you can get you know two or three marshmallows," and and uh, and a very very few of those kids actually will have the uh, the, the mental stamina to say, no, yeah, I'm going to say no so I can get more marshmallows. And if you can delay your gratification uh, for a year, that can really change your life. You can have all sorts of money saved up. You can pay off the bad debt. You might not be able to go on vacation. I always remember there was a, a point where we were in a tough situation and my wife's family is going to Mexico. It's my favorite place to go. Couldn't take the kids. Had to say, no, we couldn't go to that. And we had to struggle for a year or two, but delaying that gratification makes all the difference.
1: Yeah. Just because the money's in your bank account doesn't mean you can afford it. Exactly. And I think that's where yes. so many people, especially in this younger generation get confused. They think, oh, I've got the money. I can afford to do it. I'll figure it out later. And that's not always the right mindset to have. Fre- frequently it's a poor mindset to have. But um, the, the last tip that I'd, I'd give there, Leo, is like you said, sit down with your wife, your spouse, your friend, your colleague, whoever that may be. I think it's so important that if you're going to achieve a goal, there's got to be someone else there that's holding you accountable. For whatever reason, as human beings, we hold ourselves more accountable to other people than we do ourselves. I don't know why, but find that person that's going to hold you accountable. I think it's
0: a great way to end that segment. Find someone to hold yourself accountable whether that's a mentor, a friend, a family member, someone who will, hey, this is the goal you created. Did you delay gratification? Did you, you know, only invest in good debt in in 2023? Did you pay off the bad debt? Did you say, hey, I'm not going to go on that trip or I'm not going to do this thing. I'm not going to buy this thing until I'm in the best situation possible. And if you do that, you're going to be so happy. The anxiety, the you know stress of money like it's real for most people live paycheck to paycheck because they don't delay gratification and they don't get into these details and so again that's why the myfigures.com memberships are out there to help business owners especially uh, get their money right
1: yeah Leo. like think about it like this if i'm say i'm really really big i'm overweight and my goal is to get in shape and i go to the gym for the very first time i leave that gym feeling really, really good and confident and happy with myself, even though I'm not going to be in shape for a really, really long time, right? It's the exact same thing with your finances. You're not going to be financially set for a really, really long time, but setting that money goal, sitting down, completing your task, completing one little session of reviewing your finances, you start to develop that that confidence that you need to get to the big picture. It's, it's just like anything. You just have to start. Shift that mindset just like working out, it's a process, but you leave the gym every day feeling more confident than you did. And I think that's a big, a big point to bring
0: up. That this most of us get confused thinking, well, oh, if I take this action one time event, then it's gonna happen for you, I'm gonna see progress. You're not. It's it's really a process and you have to commit to the process and you have to have a longer term, you know, look, and even a year isn't enough, right? If you have, uh, you know, love this uh, Bill Gates quote, don't always love Bill Gates, but love this quote where he says, you often underestimate what you can do in a year, um, or no, you you overestimate what you can do in a year, and you underestimate what you can do in a decade. So when you have the longer term, and you're playing the longer game, and you're making decisions to have a much better future in 10 years, and according to a lot of successful people, overnight success is a 10-year project. And so when you make that commitment, you'll be so happy when you see the results, you know, and you'll start to see them. But it's not an event. It's not going to happen like this. It's something over time. Yep. All right, guys, our mastery topic here is that there's no substitute. Boy, we're having a lot of themes, uh, <laughs> you know, recurring here in this uh, this show, which I like, which is what everybody needs to hear in 2023. There's no substitute for work ethic and accountability Disney CEO Bob Iger is requiring workers to come back to the office four days a week, starting in March. All right, this uh, one, let's see. This is a Wall Street Journal article of the uh, Wall Street Journal. Disney CEO Bob Iger demands everyone return to the office Monday through Thursday, starting in March, every single week in 2023. And listen to Bob Iger's quote. He says, as I've been meeting with teams throughout the company over the past few months, I have been reminded of the tremendous value in being together with the people you work with. Mr. Iger wrote, Creativity is the heart and soul of who we are and what we do at Disney. And in a creative business like ours, nothing can replace the ability to connect, observe, and create with peers that comes from being physically together. How important do you think that is with anybody who is in any type of sales environment, which most of us are?
1: It, it's imperative. That That's what I've been saying through this whole COVID thing and saying, yeah, you can do your job at home, but you're going to do it significantly better in the office because of the energy, the camaraderie, the, the creativity, the ideas bouncing off one another. You don't get that at home. You can read a script. You can do customer support, but you're not going to grow and improve by sitting in a home office alone.
0: You're just not. And when you're with other people, there is real energy. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Like, if you're trying to work from home and if you, you know, have kids or people, I mean, they're coming in and out. There's always all these interruptions. Oh, what about that home improvement project that I'm working on? All these different things that can distract you. If you are having to work from home and you're doing a side hustle until you can get an office, I get it. I think you've got to have a, a space where you can shut the door and close everyone out and let everybody know. Do not bother you. You were working. You were not available. But at some point, we all realized, and Bob Iger realized this, and and you know who else realized this? Well, last spring, for example, Apple, Google, And several others announced that hybrid workers would have to return to the office at least three days a week. And that was last spring. And so obviously they noted something. And it was funny the media wanted us all to believe, oh, productivity just increased while everybody was working from home. And maybe that was true for a month or two, but it was not true in the long term. And you miss out on the, the energy, the camaraderie. You don't come up with solutions the same way. Like, there is a massive disconnect. Zoom is is off. Even even in Slack, and Slack is a super helpful app, and we love it, and it's made our business significantly better. It's a great way to communicate with strategic partners and with your team, but there's nothing that replaces being in person and learning, especially imagine you're there, and, and you're in a sales department, and I can listen to how Ty is you know, resolving this client or customer or partner's concern and, oh, it's a great idea. He said this. I'd never thought about that. And then he hears me say something that he can, you know, implement in what he's doing. And that's how we get better because one person has one set of experience. When we get together, there's a mastermind effect. Napoleon Hill, the author of Think and Grow Rich, talked a lot about this. When you get together, you can create so many more solutions because now I'm tapping into your experience, Jillian's experience, everybody what they've done and together we're learning and succeeding at such a higher rate than we would be on our own
1: yeah i I mean just with our team one of our reps last no that was yesterday i I heard him going over and talking to another rep about oh man this frustrating call Uh, i I gotta get this out of my head like can we go play a game of ping pong type of thing you don't get that at home you just have to sit and stew in that negativity because you can't go talk to another team member about this terrible call you just had and get it out of your system right it's it seems like things like that that are actually legitimately therapeutic, and you're missing out on that at home. It's just not there.
0: Even even our tech guy, our uh, Brock, just uh, moved in uh, to one of our offices, and he'd always kind of just been on Slack and text. It's really nice now we can walk over there. Brock, why isn't this update done? What's going on? It's so nice to be able to communicate. Oh, well, here's what's going on, and here's the update here, and here's what we're doing. Oh, what about this and Already, I can see massive improvements.
1: Now, Jada, you do pull this off. You do this very, very well. There are exceptions. And, and, and now we've got Casey. So it, it's like our little North Carolina office in the same house. So they can they can uh, bounce things off one another and whatnot. So, There's always uh, exceptions to each rule. <laughs> yeah. But for
0: the majority of us, have, for knowing yourself, like it's really important if you can come it into is. the office. I agree. All right. Well, our very last segment here as we close down is our freedom segment. And obviously... You know, the Go Figure podcast is all about how can you uh, be free uh, with money, free with time. And a big part of freedom, I think, that we that I think about is the ability to travel and have kind of freedom to travel. And it was interesting, you know, as we look back on what we did in 2022 and what we want to do in 2023, uh, there were some epic travel opportunities. We had the chance to take our team, our families to Mexico uh, for a week, that was awesome and, and had the chance to do some other uh, things, events across the country. So this article was uh, an interesting article I thought that I'd take a look at. I think a lot of people have this idea of true success as being able to travel, you know, go where you want, when you want, with who you want. And so the question was raised by this article, and this is from a little, what is that? Littleadrift.com. We'll give a littleadrift.com some credit. Great job, littleadrift.com. So it says, How much does it cost to travel the world for a year in 2023? Generally, $20,000 is the baseline cost for a trip around the world for one person for one year, and you're living very frugally, I'm going to say. Yeah. I mean, you can't even live for that amount, so I'm not sure how you would travel for that amount for a year. Uh, This estimate uh, falls in line with popular recommendations that budget travelers can spend an average of $50 a day on the road. Where are you sleeping for $50 a day? And allows additional budget for flights.
1: That's not a trip for me, Leo. Yeah, me me either. No way. Are we
0: sleeping on like a
1: bench? Hostels and tents, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass. So,
0: so the second part of it says, or you could spend up to thirty thousand dollars for a budget trip. So I'm not sure what the twenty thousand dollars around the world was. So that's not the budget. That's like the uh, I'm uh, I'm sleeping on the uh, the bus stop uh, bench or on the ground. I don't know what we're doing and trying to make things work. Uh, but then there's let's see, the thirty thousand dollar budget trip includes fewer hostels. And more upscale accommodation, transport or food, traveling as a couple or family does not directly double or triple because you can kind of, you know, you're staying in one place, which is the same amount for one person versus two or three or four. So that, that's good. Um, the co- and then you got lodging and transport or shared expenses. And then, of course, a lot of people are saying, realistically, you probably need about $50,000 uh, to really travel. Now, the cool thing is if you get smart with a YouTube channel and social media and a following, then you can share a lot of your, your travels around the world with video, and that can really pay for a lot of it if you do it right. So a unique place and time where things can can happen. But if you have kids, how difficult, difficult do you think it would actually be to travel around the world? And we do all have kids.
1: I don't know. This, this topic's giving me anxiety, Leo. I don't even like <laughs> camping, so thinking about going around the world for, with $30,000 is awful. But... I, I don't know. I can't even fathom doing that. I'll take my kids to Hawaii and sit on a beach for a couple of weeks. We don't need to go around the world. But do people actually take their kids around the world? Is that a Some thing? Some people do. There was
0: like this travel group, and these people were like going to Russia and they were getting on trains and going to China and China and doing all these uh, wacky things. And it was like this travel mastermind group, and they all kind of uh, paid into it. It was. They weren't doing it on a twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollar budget. They were doing it pretty upscale, pretty, pretty nice places, but well, well organized and not not wasting any money doing it. So at the end of the day, and and I've talked to Jill about this and our kids, and we're putting down bucket list items of of where we want to go. But even then, the more you think about it, like when was the last time you went on vacation for like a week or two, like we did eight or nine days in orlando uh, with my with my five kids and and my in-laws and by the end of that vacation you're kind of ready to come back and you did your thing um, going around the world would almost be exhausting more than more than two weeks three weeks at a time now if you're going to europe i feel like you you got to make that one count or maybe if you're going to south America and you really want to go through a few of the countries maybe you're gonna make that one count but yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. The older I get, the more I'm less excited about going somewhere. And this is going to sound a little bougie, but I get less excited about going places where the food's not going to be great or the the hotels are not going to be great. I mean, I get less excited, especially going to different uh, third world third world countries that might be absolutely beautiful. Um, as an example, so uh, we went to went to Fiji. Fiji has a lot of nice uh, places, and then after that, we went to, to Tonga. and We were doing this weird business thing, but but while we were there, like the food was not our friend. I don't know, and a lot of maybe you guys love Tongan food. I I didn't find it a, a great fit for me, and uh, they they like uh, roasted the pig and they're wrapping all the skin and eating it. It didn't did taste good. I don't know what if it was me, but We were literally surviving off of pineapple for a week. (laughs) The hotel had lizards running. And this was the nicest hotel on the island. Lizards are running in the hotel. It's not the cleanest hotel in the world. The beaches actually were not that great. So, yeah, I didn't didn't love that. So I think what's important here is you should be very intentional, know you. And on the the flip side, I've got my sister and her husband, and they love to – they love going to those third world places and and staying in those types of uh, places and eating the food there. And, and so if that's you, you know, be very intentional about it, but like anything else, if you want to get your money right, you have to deliberately think about it, work about it. I think travel is the same way. If you want to live your dream life, your best life and be a lifestyle entrepreneur, then you should define what that looks like for you and go ahead and do it.
1: Yeah. Amen. I mean, there's definitely people that the trip around the world is is for them, right? I think Robert did something like this, like yeah. three to six months, went on a huge tour. Robert's loves nature, free spirit, yeah. great, fantastic. Like I said, I don't even like camping. I don't get the point of it. Like, I I can I can appreciate nature. I love Lake Powell, being out on a boat. But like yeah. every time I go camping, we get in this uncomfortable tent. You you have bad weather. You get mediocre food mm-hmm. because you're dealing with a fire to try and cook it. You wake up, you smell smoky. You just sit there like, what am I going to do all day? And <laughs> I, I just don't get it. So I've, I've, I've been firm with my wife. I don't care if I'm taking time away from my home and my family and we're leaving, we're going somewhere nice and comfortable with a pillow and yeah. a bed and yeah. find what works for you. I don't have any desire to go around the entire world on a $30,000 budget, but is kind of interesting. But like you said, know what you want to do and plan for it just yeah. because you have the 30,000 doesn't mean you can afford it yeah set goals
0: no and, and i did boy scouts uh, you know back when boy scouts was actually Ugh. a thing and Gosh. it was camping all the time and as i've got as i've gotten older i love going hiking in beautiful areas there's this you know there's uh, some awesome hikes here around utah and then you can go and camp and every time I wake up, and it doesn't matter what kind of little mattress thing you, you bring, like, it's uncomfortable, you don't sleep well, I wake up and my back feels terrible, and I'm just like, why am I doing this? I'm going to go on that 5, 10-mile hike, and then I'm going back to my bed.
1: Yeah, my buddy's like, don't worry, man, I, I've got a shower. It's like this little Ziploc bag with a spout. I'm like, oh, nice, you know what I have at home? A high-pressured shower <laughs> with heat. Like, give me a break. Uh, yeah, so... Well, Plan your travel well. Be
0: very deliberate about it. And uh, here, here's your action item uh, for the day. If you guys received value, if you got some different uh, ideas and concepts, and and just because it worked for us doesn't mean it works for you exactly the same way. But there's a certain amount of values, principles, things that you do in life and in business to get your money right, to build your business. And so, if you got some value give us a thumbs up, comment uh, on the show here. Uh, You can always email ideas, topics, questions, info at sevenfigures.com. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and share it with friends, family, others who want to get their money right. We're looking to build a community and together we can do so much more versus alone. Have a great Tuesday and we'll see you Thursday, same time and place. Uh, it will be two to three eastern 11 to 12 pacific thank you for joining us on the go figure podcast if you learned something that will help your business or family take 30 seconds and give us a five star if we added value to your day then share the show with someone who wants to get their money right and be sure to subscribe to the seven figures funding youtube channel if you're a business owner and a parent committed to getting your money right for your family then check out the myfigures.com money app with a free 30-day trial to manage your money, track your debt worth, and build a profit-first business through our fintech platform. God bless, and we'll see you next time on the Go Figure
1: Podcast.